Well, uh, I've told you on many occasions that I, I often wonder what Jesus would, would say about Big Valley Grace if he were to send us a, a letter or an email or send us a text. Um, I, 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 I thought that even back when I was the youth pastor here. And in my mind, I would imagine, what, what, what would Jesus say about the youth ministry that I used to oversee if he were to send me a, a letter? And I think about this all the time, even more than, you know, when we got into this series. I, I, I just imagine, God, what would you say to us as a church? And I have no doubt that God would have a lot of really great things to say. I think God would say, hey, you're doing this great, and keep this up, and hip, hip, hooray, and you're doing a wonderful job here. I, I have no doubt about that. But I also know, because the church is made up of human beings, that there'd probably be some things that, that Jesus would say, hey, listen, th th this isn't real cool. Knock this off. Don't do that. Hey, you know what? You're getting involved here. It's not a bad thing, but that, that's not what I have Big Valley Grace for. That's going to be somebody else's job in the kingdom. You, you've got your role in the kingdom. Just stick here. Put your resources here. I often wonder what Jesus would, would say to me as the pastor of this church if he were to send me a personal letter. And what he would say about how I've led this church. And uh, like I said, I, I believe there'd probably be some great things he would say to me. I think there are some things that he would say, you did a great job, you did a good thing, you're doing this, keep this up, keep doing that, yay for you. But I also am just honest about life. I, I, I understand I'm a human being and my flesh can get in the way at times, and I'm sure there'd be some things that he'd go, hey, you know, knock this off. Don't do that. Quit saying that. And um, some of you have been like Jesus. You've sent me letters telling me those things. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got those letters. Um, but here's the deal. I appreciate that. Just because you become the pastor of a church doesn't somehow, you know, mean you got it all together. I have received lots of great encouragement from the people of this church. Keep it up, keep going, hip hip hooray. You know, I'm proud of you and keep going, I'm praying for you. But I, I've got some real nice emails that, from my family members, my friends. We all need that. And, and who have shared with me some, some things and I'm thankful for that. I want you to imagine maybe you go out to your mailbox and in the midst of all of the letters and the bills and I don't know, the junk mail, or maybe you, you turn on your computer and in your inbox, you know, you get through all the spam and all the junk, and imagine if there was a letter from Jesus to you, written to you, personally to you. And it uh, maybe it, it talked a little bit about how you've managed your own life. Forget about managing the church, but how you've managed your own life, how you've managed your own family, how you've loved your wife, or how you've loved your husband, or how you've raised your kids. And most of you I know, and probably, you know, a lot of the letter would be hip, hip, hooray. You're doing a great job. You did this well. This is, keep going, keep going. But probably, you know, there'd be some things that Jesus might say to you, hey, look, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't use that kind of language. Don't treat your spouse differently. Don't, don't do that with your kids. And, and, and we, 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 don't, we all need that. We all need those kinds of, of things. I think it would just be a, a, a trip to really get a real letter from, from the Lord. Well, that's exactly what happened to the seven churches in the first century. 
In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus wrote seven different personal letters to seven different churches. Uh, these were churches that were located throughout Asia Minor, which is basically where modern-day Turkey is today. And for the past 12 weeks, we've been looking at what Jesus had to say to these churches. And we've learned a lot. God has been working in our lives. Just, just last weekend, God was doing some incredible things. The weekend before that, 100 people put a little star on the back of cards, and they made a first-time profession of faith. I know that all throughout the series, I get the emails and the letters. It's, it's really been cool to see how the Lord, how the Holy Spirit has been working in, in people's lives. But I can tell you, like any other series we go through, the deepest work has been in my own life. Um, man, I, I got a long way to, to go to, to be the man that, that Jesus wants me to be, the husband that want, Jesus wants me to be, the dad, whatever. And God is always at work in my own personal life, always revealing things to me that, you know, I, I got to work on, things that don't look a whole lot like Jesus. And yeah, there are some things that I know do look like Jesus. There are some good things in my life. I know that. But I also know that, as Paul said, no good dwells in my flesh, and I struggle at times with, with, with certain things. And so it's been really neat to see how the Lord has been working. Uh, we learned in the first letter that we have to be careful not to get so busy that we lose our first love for Jesus. We learned in the second letter that when life gets tough, when we go through difficult times, Jesus is right there with us. We learned in the third letter that it's easy to get confused about what truth is, so we need to be careful what we embrace as truth. We learned in the fourth letter that we shouldn't get involved or tolerate anything that violates Scripture. We learned in the fifth letter that when those times come, when we feel dead in our walk with God, we need to wake up and we need to fill, uh, feed our, our souls. We learned in the sixth letter that we stay healthy in our relationship with Jesus when we walk through the doors that he opens and we rely upon him for our strength and we keep his word and we love his name. And then last week, we looked at the seventh and final letter where we learned that Jesus hates it when we're lukewarm in our relationship with him. And, and today we're gonna wrap up the series by, um, by taking a look at this last letter. So let's, let's read Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 14 together. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the jumbotrons or uh, the notes, uh, the scriptures are in your notes or whatever. Verse 14 says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Laodicea. And the angel is basically the leader of the church, the elder of the church, the, the pastor of the church. And so this letter was to be written to the leader so that he could he could read it to, to the congregation. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. And so Jesus is once again just identifying who the author of the letter is. And this is what he says. He says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold for me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will also be rich. 
Also buy white garments for me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and buy ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone that I love, so be diligent to turn from your indifference, turn from your lukewarmness, if you will. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, so that everybody's on the same page as I do at all the the, 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 the part twos of these messages, I, I want to do a quick review of last week's message because I want to make sure you all get it. I know we have lots of new visitors and some of you have memories maybe like mine and they just forget things. So I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Last week I shared with you the two things that make God sick. Number one, compromise makes God sick. In verse 15 he says, I know all the things that you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spoo you out of my mouth. Some of your Bibles say I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Beloved, God would rather have somebody be totally against them. They're, they're cold. They're an atheist. They're, they're an agnostic. God would rather have somebody be cold. They're an unbeliever than be lukewarm. And the reason why is because if you're cold, if you're an unbeliever, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, there's hope for you. All of us at one time, as I said earlier, if you were here, we, we all start off cold. We all start off as unbelievers. We all start off apart from God. We all start off as atheists, if you will, or agnostics or whatever. And yet what happens is, is that 98% of us here over in the venue, God began to draw us to himself. God began to open our eyes to the truth of who Jesus was. And today, guess what? We know the Lord. And so when God says, hey, I'd rather you be cold, you know, hey, there's hope. Or he says, I'd rather you be hot, whether you be passionate about me. And it's obvious why God would want someone to be passionate about him. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Beloved, it's, it's hard to be an ambassador for the Lord when you're not passionate about him. God wants us to either be cold, you know, just, you don't believe in me, you, 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 you know, you're, you're just, you know, cold, or you're passionate, that you could represent me well, that you can be salt and light out in the, the world. It's the lukewarm person that God has a problem with because a lukewarm person is nothing but a compromiser. They've given their life to Jesus, you know. They, they've recognized how sinful they were. They recognized they needed Christ in their life. They gave their life to Christ, and, and now they're just lukewarm in their relationship with him. And it just makes God sick. And the second thing that makes God sick is pride. Pride makes him sick. In verse 17, Jesus says to these people in this church, hey, you say I'm rich. You have everything you want. I don't need a thing, Right? You got it all together. You, you, know, you know, what do you need, right? And he says, you don't even realize how goofed up you are. You don't realize how wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked you really are. Pride is, a, is an ugly thing. One of the things that pride does is it keeps you from seeing yourself as you really are. 
Prideful people think, they, you know, I don't need anybody. I don't need a thing. What do I, you know, what, what, I, what do I need God for kind of a thing? Prideful people have an elevated view of themselves. Listen to these words from the great apostle Paul. He said, because God has given me a special gift, I have something to say to everyone among you. Okay, well, what is it? Do not think you are better than you are. The Holy Spirit filled the great apostle with those words, knowing that someday we would read those words. And that's a message for all of us. Pride is one of those things that just makes God sick. We begin to think we're better than we are. Some of your Bibles say, you know, you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In fact, these two things, compromise and pride, make Jesus so sick. It says this in verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. And as I told you last week, is there anything more pathetic than that picture? That Jesus is, you know, out on the doors trying to get into his church. What, what, a, what a sad, you know, picture that is. This was written to a church, to a group of called out people. This was written to the ecclesia. And yet, because of compromise and pride and all that, you get this image that, look, uh, you're, you're comprom you've, you've got me outside the doors. I can't even get in. I can't get in. Here's Jesus on the outside of his church trying to get in. He's knocking on the door trying to get in. And to me, I, I read verse 20, and it's just unbelievable. But that's what compromise and pride do. They, they keep Jesus on the outside looking in. But here's the crummy truth. These two things can creep into all of our lives. Even here in the 21st century. One of the things that I've learned in my 30 years of ministry is that all of us at times can get a little too attached to this world. All of us. All of us at times can begin to compromise here and there. All of us. All of us at times can get a little complacent in our walk with Jesus. All of us at times can begin to think a, a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. All of us can become a little prideful. All of us at times can become a, a, a little lukewarm in our love for God and our love for others. All of us. Every single one of us in this room, I don't care how long you've walked with God. Every one of us, we, we, we can go through those times when, you know what, we don't love the way we ought to love. We don't show mercy the way we ought to show mercy. We don't always care the way Jesus wants us to care. It happens to all of us. And when those times come, I think this letter gives us some really great thoughts as to how you and I can keep our relationship with Jesus passionate or fresh or on fire, if you will, or how we can heat it up again if it's gone lukewarm. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, and this is kind of the key to the whole thing. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And one of the things you have to love about Jesus is he just brings a cookie jar down here to where we can all get it. If you got a half a cell working, that makes sense, doesn't it? He says, I'm the vine. You're simply the branches. And if a man or a woman remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. In other words, you stay connected to me, you stay plugged into me, you won't be lukewarm. 
You'll be passionate about your walk with the Lord. You'll be passionate about Jesus, but apart from me, you can do nothing. You unplug from me, and guess what? That passion's gonna diminish, and before you know it, you'll be lukewarm in your walk with the Lord. John 15 really here is the key to having a strong, passionate relationship with Jesus. If you want God's power in your life, you gotta stay connected to him because he's the power source, okay? So last week I shared with you two things that if you'll keep yourself plugged into Jesus, it'll then keep your relationship with Jesus hot or it'll help you heat up again. Number one, I, I told you, you, you keep yourself plugged into Jesus and you stay hot thus when, when you truly understand the crummy truth about yourself. Verse 17 says, don't you realize how wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked you are? And I, look, folks, here's the deal. <laughs> If you forget about just how crummy you are, what sin did to your life, you'll unplug, you'll unplug yourself from the power source. And, and, you know, God gave us the ability to remember. Now, sometimes I wish he didn't. There are some things I wish I could just flush from my memory, but that's not the way God made us. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, when we finally get to heaven, we're still going to see the, the holes in Jesus' hands. We're still going to see the hole in Jesus' uh, uh, feet. We're, we're going to see the hole from the spear that went into his side. And I always thought that was interesting. Why, when we finally get to heaven, are we going to, you know, why? What's the point of that? <laughs> I think it's because Jesus doesn't want you to forget how you got there. That it took the death of the second person of the Holy Trinity. And one of the things our memory does is it helps us remember just how goofed up we are. Because when you forget about how goofed up you are, it, it, you got troubles. The second thing I shared with you last week is that you, you, you'll keep yourself plugged into Jesus and thus stay hot when you admit that you have a desperate need for him. He says, you know, you, you, you're all running around thinking you're rich. You have everything you want. You don't need a thing. In other words, you, you don't think you need Jesus. Beloved, if you don't understand the crummy, shocking truth about yourself, the fact that sin has messed up your life, there's little chance that number two is going to mean anything to you. You show me somebody who doesn't see their need for Jesus, their desperate need for Jesus, and I will show you somebody who doesn't understand the crummy, shocking truth about themselves, that they're sinful, that they're evil, that they're wicked, that sin has just messed up everything in their lives. You see, when you truly understand the, the truth about yourself, it automatically leads you to admit your, your great need for Jesus. It's just automatic, automatic. But the truth is, all of us can forget these first two points. All of us at times can forget how messed up we are, which then leads us to forget about how desperately we need Jesus in our lives, which then leads us to become lukewarm in our walk with God. So what I want to do now is, since we're all caught up, I, I, I want to give you three other things. And I believe that these will be super helpful for you, super practical, super helpful. And I think at some moment in all of our lives, they'll, they'll be applicable. Maybe even to some of you today. Number three, you'll keep yourself plugged into Jesus and then thus stay hot when you actually go to Jesus alone to meet your deepest needs. 
Verse 18 says, so I advise you to buy gold for me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you'll also be rich. You ought to also buy white garments for me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness, and you ought to buy ointment for me for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. Beloved, I want you to understand something. It's one thing to know that Jesus is the only person that can meet your deepest needs. A lot of Christians know that. They know that on an intellectual level, that, that Jesus is the only one who can meet their deepest needs. But it's another thing to actually go to Jesus to have those needs met. In fact, one of the reasons why Christians get all goofed up with porn and alcohol and drugs and food or whatever is because they stop looking to Jesus to meet their needs. And once you stop looking to Jesus to meet your needs, the enemy, Satan, is right there with something. And so you can, you can know the, the Lord as your Savior, and yet you don't actually go to him to meet your deepest needs. And you, I don't know, you, you start drinking and that'll numb the pain for a while. Or you start looking at porn. That'll numb the pain for a while. Or you, you start eating food. And that'll do something for a while. The problem is, is that you, you get addicted to those kinds of things. And the next thing you know, you, you lost your wife, you lost your husband, you, you messed up your family, everything starts going haywire because you're not going to Jesus to have those deepest needs met. You, you've grabbed on to the, to the substitute and you think that somehow that, that's going to satisfy you. My, my, um, my children used to love those little bubbles. You know, you, you put the little thing in the, in the thing and, and the bubbles would, you know, fly out. You know, we've all seen those. I remember one time my daughter, I was doing that and she would run out and she'd grab one and then she'd run up to me and go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And then I'd blow some more. She'd run and grab it. Daddy, daddy, daddy! And there was never anything there. That's what alcohol and porn and all that other junk is. They're nothing but bubbles. You grab onto them and you think you got something. And there comes a moment when you open your hand. There's nothing there. And it certainly doesn't satisfy you like Jesus can. But you think you got something. You really believe it. And Satan has a way of somehow just goofing up our brains in such a way that, man, man, this is really helping me. One of the things about our Celebrate Recovery ministry is really it's all about helping people remember how goofed up they are, and that group gets it. They know they're goofed up. That's why they're here on Tuesday nights, 500 of them. It's a place where they, they know that they have a desperate need for Jesus. That's why they're here. And it's a place where they understand that all the stuff that they've been grabbing at is simply like bubbles. There's nothing there. And it's a place that helps them see and keep their eyes focused on the one who can meet their deepest needs, Jesus Christ. Beloved, there isn't anything or anybody that can meet your deepest needs like Jesus can, and it's super important that you look to him and him alone to have those needs met. Now, I want you to look at those first four words or three words there in verse 18. He says, so I advise you, I advise you. <laughs> I want you to know, those might be three or four of the just craziest words in all the Bible. Some of your Bibles say, I, I counsel you. Think about it. Here's Jesus. 
the second person of the Holy Trinity, right? He knows this church has cooled off. He knows this church has gone lukewarm towards him. He, he knows how goofed up these people are. He knows how off track they are in their walk with him. He knows how, how deeply they need him. And he comes to them and he says, hey, let me give you some advice. Let, let, let me counsel you. The great theologian John Stotts said this. He said, quote, He's the great God of the immense, unfathomable universe. He has countless galaxies of stars at his fingertips. The heaven and the heaven of the heavens can't contain him. He's the creator and the sustainer of all things. He has the right to issue orders for us to obey. Yet he prefers to give advice, which we may or may not heed. He could command, but he chooses to counsel. I counsel you. I give you this advice, Jesus said. And I thought as I read this, to, actually a while back, because I was kind of reading these things, and then last week as I was starting to get into it, and even this week, that is just really kind of crazy. Hey, church, I advise you. Let me give you some thoughts. Let me give you some counsel here. I thought that was a beautiful picture. Psalms 33 says this, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And that's not to say that the commands of the Lord don't stand forever. They certainly do. But as Jesus writes this letter to this church that had gone lukewarm, or a lot of them had gone lukewarm. He says, hey, I, I, I wanna give you some advice. Let me, let me counsel you. Now what exactly was the counsel or the advice that Jesus gave this church? Jesus said, buy your gold for me, buy your clothes for me, buy your ointment for me. And by the way, Jesus made this kind of statement throughout his life. In Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. In John chapter six, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life and no one who comes to me will be hungry. In John chapter seven, Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink. Beloved, all throughout the Bible, God calls us or invites us or advises us or counsels us to come to, come to him for, for rest, for, for water, for the food that you need. This church at Laodicea, he says, hey, I'm the gold you need. I'm the clothes you need. I'm the medicine or the ointment that you need. Beloved, all throughout the Bible, Jesus over and over again tells us that he's the one that we need. He's the one that can supply us with all that we need. The gold that Jesus told them to buy represents faith. Faith is one of the deepest needs that you have, and the only place you can get it or buy it, so to speak, is through Jesus. He's the only source. The white garments, the clothes that Jesus told them to buy represents purity. Purity is one of the deepest needs that you have, and the only place you can get it, the only place you can buy it is through Jesus. He's the only source. The ointment that Jesus told them to buy represents wisdom. Wisdom is one of your, your deepest needs. Wisdom to see life the way that Jesus sees it. To, to see life through the lens of God, not, not through the lens of the old man or the old nature. And the only place you can get it is through Jesus. And by the way, when Jesus said buy these things from him, it was simply a, a play on words. 
The people of this church were wealthy and therefore they could buy whatever they wanted. And so Jesus is simply telling them to come and buy these things from, from him. But the reality is, is that all these things that Jesus offers are, are free. In James chapter one, Jesus said, hey, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. Ephesians chapter two says, God saved us by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. This is just a, a gift from God. In other words, it's just free. You can't buy your salvation. It's just something free. Romans chapter eight says this, since he, that's God, did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything? So when you re read that phrase, you know, come and buy, you know, gold or or clothing, or ointment. He's not talking about having to purchase those things. You can't purchase those things. They're just things that Jesus gives to you. They're free. They're free gifts. Warren Worsby said, if when we were sinners, God gave us his best, that was Jesus, now that we're God's children, will he not give us all that we need? Of course he will. I love this little story and little vignette of the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven. He said, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? <laughs> or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Isn't that beautiful? Last night, my oldest daughter was sitting right down here. She's 21, and just beautiful young lady who loves Jesus Christ. And I love it when she comes to me and asks me for things. I don't care how old my kids get. I like it when they come and ask me for things. And I don't always give them everything they ask for. God doesn't always give you everything you ask for. And one of the things that I love to do as an earthly father, a father who's got a, a flesh full of sin, is I love to give my children good gifts. You love to give your children good gifts. Those of you that are grandparents, you love to give your grandkids good gifts. You may not be able to give them everything they want or everything even you want, but you love to do nice, good things for your children or grandkids when they ask. And you're You're sinful. <laughs> How much more are perfect, holy, righteous awesome, majestic father when we go to him and ask him for things. <laughs> he just, we like it. He likes it. He loves it. When we come and say, Lord, I, I need faith. Give me faith. Lord, I need to be pure. My sin has just made me just crummy. Oh, God, I need healing. I, I need wisdom. I need to see life the way you, you see it. Help me, Jesus. Let me tell you something. You go to God with those kinds of prayers. He'll, he'll answer those prayers. N number four, and this is the tough one, okay? This is the tough one. <laughs> You'll keep yourself plugged into Jesus and thus stay hot when you embrace the discipline of the Lord. Verse 19, Jesus says, I want you to know, church, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. When it's revealed to you that you're lukewarm in your walk 
with, with Jesus. When, when you recognize you're not as passionate as you ought to be, when you recognize that maybe compromise has come into your life, you, you recognize that maybe pride has kind of goofed you up, you gotta be diligent to turn from that. One of the most important tools that we as parents have in our tool bags to help our children grow up to be good, decent, God-honoring human beings is discipline. And as I share with you many times, that's the goal. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't care if my kids get straight A's or not. I don't. You know, too many parents are all concerned about, oh, my kid, you know, smart, 4.82 GPA, you know? I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> my kid's the best athlete. My kid's pretty. So what? Ted Bundy got straight A's. Ken Budney was a good-looking guy. Who cares whether your kid's pretty or smart or can throw a football? Who cares? Are they a good person? Are they a decent person? Are they a God-honoring person? Do they live out their faith? That's what matters. That's what you want to do is raise your kids to be good, decent kids, the salt-of-the-earth kind of people. Now, you, you can be you know, smart and be a good football player or whatever and be the salt-of-the-earth kind of people. But the, the tool that God has left us to help them become good, decent, God-honoring, salt-of-the-life world kind of people is discipline. There's not one parent here that hasn't at one time or another disciplined their children. Not one, or at least I hope. Proverbs 13 says, if you don't punish your son, you don't punish your daughter, you don't love them. If you do love them, you're gonna correct them. You see, God punishes us because he loves us. And we're to be like God, so it just makes sense that if I love my son, if I love my daughters, I'm gonna, I'm gonna punish them. There's gonna be discipline involved in, in, in raising them. Proverbs 19 says, discipline your children while they're young enough to learn. If you don't, you're helping them to destroy themselves. And trust me, I've done this long enough, I was a youth pastor long enough to where I've seen a lot of kids who are destroyed. Because their parents weren't parents. They tried to be friends. They, I'm just buddies with my kids. No, you're not a buddy with your kid. You're a parent. That's what you are. And sometimes parents have to discipline their kids. I don't know of one kid that didn't need discipline. Maybe there's one out there who was, who was you, know, you know, perfect. Actually, my, I'm thinking about my son. <laughs> He's a lot like me. Yeah. Proverbs 22 says, children just naturally do silly and careless things. Isn't that the truth? Think back. Can some of you remember back to when you were just a, a kid? Didn't you just do dumb, silly things? But a good spanking will teach them how to behave. Now some of you are going, oh, no. Spanking? That's wrong. No, it's not. There's nothing wrong with spanking your kids. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, the Bible says you need to do it. Proverbs 23 says, don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. I can't even tell you how many times. I, I can't. I can't tell you how many times I was spanked as a kid. Can't even I couldn't count them. Little Italian mother, my, my calf weighed more than she did. But man, she would grab me. And, and it was just like, and it, you know, it, it didn't hurt. But I'd fake it. <laughs> it hurts, Mom. She, her, her arm hurt more than mine did. I, she was done. I've told you this. Fremont Elementary School, Mrs. Robillard, bless her soul. She's not alive now. 
In, this was back in the era when they just, right in class, right in class, they just pull you up to the thing and spank me right there, right in class, right in class. And guess what? I lived. <laughs> and then, and let me just tell you, that was an era when the school would then call my mother and say, here's what little Ricky did. And uh, when I got home, well, how many times did Mrs. Robillard spank him? Five. I, she doubled it. And there, I wasn't innocent until proven guilty. If the teacher said this, that was it. Today, we got a generation of kids growing up to where, you know what? Uh, uh, the, the, the parents believe their, their, their children believe they, before they believe the, the, the school or the teachers. And how dare you accuse my little angel of doing something wrong and so teachers can't do anything. We can't discipline children today, which is why we got a whole bunch of them running around just being nutty, crazy, doing evil. My mom, she didn't care what I had to say. If the school thought I needed to be punished by spanking, then she was going to spank me. And yes, it was embarrassing. And yes, it was humiliating. And yes, there was some shame involved. That's part of the point of it. But I lived. The scriptures are right. No one ever dies because you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. And I can look back as I was studying this, thinking to myself, you know what? Who knows? Uh, how Mrs. Robillard may have spared me. Who knows how um, uh, my mom may have spared me. I may not be here right now if not for some people who took serious what the Word of God said. And at that time, my mom didn't even know the Lord. I'm sure Mrs. Robillard didn't know the Lord. That was just an era when people lived out the scriptures. Our Heavenly Father, look, is no different than Mrs. Robillard. <laughs> no different than my mother. Mrs. Robillard loved me. She wanted the best for me. My mom loved me. She wanted the best for me, and so they disciplined me. Guess what? The Lord loves you. He loves you. The cross proves how much he loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to discipline you. Now, obviously, he doesn't haul you up in front of everybody and spank you. He has different ways that he, he disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. And that, that tends to be what happens. We, oh, man, I see it in my kids' eyes when I, when I discipline them. They, they just kind of want to give up. And that's where you come along and you encourage them and you love them and you give them that dumb line that this hurts me more than it hurts you. You know, you, you got to say those kind of dumb things. And, and, and then they get all, okay, you know, and they live. And Don't give up when the Lord disciplines you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his children. Hebrews chapter 12 says no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those that are trained in this way. In other words, you got to embrace it when the Lord disciplines you. He loves you enough to not allow you to stay in the state of being lukewarm. And when you embrace that, let me tell you something, it matters. It keeps you plugged in. 
Now, there's one final thing that, that I want to share with you. Number five, you, you'll keep yourself plugged into Jesus and thus stay hot when you quickly respond to the voice of Jesus. Verse 20, kind of a famous passage. Um, Jesus says, look, I, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. And you know what? Last week, a lot of people responded to the voice of the Lord. It wasn't my voice. Oh, I was the guy standing here. God is the one that opened up a lot of ears and a lot of hearts, and a whole bunch of you responded. You put little squares on the backs of these cards saying, hey, listen, man, I've gone lukewarm in my walk with the Lord. Sin, junk, crud's gotten in the way, my pride, whatever it might be, compromise, and I want to repent of my sin. I want to rededicate my life. I want to be passionate for God uh, again. This verse, verse 20, is often used to talk to people who aren't believers and how Christ will come to their lives and forgive them of their sins if they open the door to their hearts and invite Jesus in. But as I've shared with you, in reality, this letter was written to, to a church, to believers. That's the context of, of this. Now, the principle is true. I remember uh, being 18 and 19 years of age, and I didn't know the Lord. I was cold. And... <laughs> Almost like this says, I, I, I sensed some, something in my heart. I sensed the Lord knocking on the, the door of my heart. God wanted, wanted to have a relationship with me. And I knew I was sinful. I didn't call it sin when I was younger. I, that's a Bible word. I, I knew I was messed up and screwed up and said dumb things, bad things, evil things. I had, I had done evil things. I, I, I thought evil things. I knew I was messed up. Trust me, I knew that. But all of a sudden, there was this knocking on my heart where Jesus was saying, I love you and I care about you. I want to come into your life. I want to cleanse you of your, of your sins. I want to make things right between you and God. Hey, let's do life together. Let's hang out and have a meal together. I sensed that knocking on my heart. And there came a moment when I opened the door and Jesus came into my life. And let me tell you something, my life's never been the same. Never been the same. And 98% of us in this room and over in the venue, we, we, we sort of sense that knocking on our hearts and we open the door. But I'll tell you what a lot of people do. I know I did it. Um, <laughs> I was sharing with the staff earlier. I, I, uh, about a week ago or so, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, uh, someone knocked on our door. And my dog's doing nuts and I go to the door and it's this good looking young guy. He's just a young guy and he's selling candy bars. And, all right, I bought three candy bars, you know, whatever. He leaves. I'm not kidding. Ten minutes later, <laughs> the dogs go nuts, and I go to the door and open the door. It's another kid. Hey, uh, you know, I'm at this school, and we're trying to raise some money, and all right. So I bought, you know, whatever it was, three more candy bars. So I go, I, I'm not kidding. So I go sit back down, and there was another knock on the door. And I'm thinking, that's weird. I go to the door with my dog, I'm pushing him back, you know. Open the door, another kid. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I gave up another $5 bill. So now I'm in the kitchen, and we got these blinds, and I could, another kid's walking up the door of my driveway thing. And I'm going, this is unbelievable. Well, he knocks on the door, and I immediately jump, you know. 
I'm, I'm hiding behind the uh, refrigerator. My dogs are going nuts. I got him. Sit quiet. <laughs> I don't want to open the door. I, I'm tired of dropping a $5 bill. And so there I was. <laughs> and then the guy finally leaves. Now listen, I did that with Jesus for a long time. I sensed him knocking on my mom's heart. But I dropped down behind the, the window, man. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen if I opened my life up to Jesus. I thought, man, I was going to have to become one of those crazy guys that put the colored hair on and had to put a sign up that said John 3.16 in the black hole at the Raider game. I, I thought that's what God had you do. Oh, no. If I open the door, <laughs> yeah, I've got, I got to do something weird. Or if I open the door to Jesus, he's going to send me to Zimbabwe. Oh, no, because isn't that where all Christians go? Isn't that what you got to do the first couple of years? You go to Zimbabwe, right? I, I didn't know. So I was scared. I didn't know what would happen if I opened the door of my life. I heard the knocking, man, but I'm, I'm, I'm down on the ground, hiding, didn't want to open the door. And what I didn't understand was this. What beautiful language that is. Hey, if you'll open that door. I'm not going to make you put on a crazy wig and go stand with a sign. You're not going to go to Zimbabwe. Here, here's what will happen. I'll come into your life and we'll hang out together. We'll have a meal together. We'll do life together. It's a beautiful thing to hear that knocking. And I know that for some, you're hearing that knocking, maybe right now, and there's a little, you're a little nervous about what, what happens. I want you to know something. What happens is, is that the God who created you when you were inside your mama's womb, the God who put you together, the God who loves you so much, he came here and died on a cross for you, went into a tomb, and he walked out of that grave for you. He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father for you. That God wants to come into your life and erase all the junk and the crud, and he wants to begin something new in your life, a relationship with you. He just kind of wants to hang out with you, have a meal with you. That's what he wants. It's the greatest decision I ever made in my life. Last night, there were a whole bunch of people who made that decision here. And maybe that's you today. But over in the venue in here, just close your eyes for, for just a moment. Just, just close your eyes. And maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, I sense that knocking on my heart. I sense it. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've been coming for a while. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you've been ducking down. You, 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 you've not answered the door. And today you're going, I want, I want Jesus in my life. I want him to come and cleanse me of my sin. I want to open the door of my heart to him. I want him to come in and I want to do life with him. If that's you right now, just in the quietness of this moment, just pray this prayer, just quietly. Just say, Jesus, I hear you knocking. And I'm opening the door right now. I'm inviting you into my life. Come in. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to have a relationship with you. And while your eyes are closed and 
And obviously I can't see what's happening over in the venue, but that I might rejoice with you if you prayed that. If you, if you, this was the first time you opened your life up to Jesus. You've heard that knocking and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, invited him in. Would you raise your hand that, that, I, yeah, that, I, could, that I could see it? Just make, make sure I, I see it. Yeah, up there. Yeah, a couple of you right up there. Very cool. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, everybody, everybody just look up here real quick. Here's the deal. You know, you all have these cards, and in just a moment, our, our greeters and our hosts and hostess are going to come forward, and they're going to walk back down these aisles. And what I want you to do is, in just a minute, you're going to pass these cards in. And if you prayed that prayer over in the venue, too, do me, do me a favor. Will you just put a star up in that corner? And what that tells me, those cards will come to me, and then what that tells me is that God was doing something in your life. And I want to rejoice in what God's doing. I want to be praying for you. And I also just want to send you something and personally invite you to maybe the follow class, something like that, because here's the deal. When I opened my, my heart to Christ, um, I didn't really know anything about him. I knew nothing. And it was at this church, you know, 30 years ago that I got involved in, we didn't call it the follow class. We called it something different. It was called the D100, Discipleship 100. That's weird how that just came back to me. But, but, but that's, that's what I did. Because I had to start to learn some things about this God who came and died for me and is now a part of my life. And that's what the follow class is. And I just want to talk to you. I'll send you an email or a snail mail, whatever it is you, you, you've got. And, and, and I can pray for you. And if that decision was really genuine, then you won't have any problem putting a, putting a star on, on there, okay? And over in the venue, you do the same thing, all right? So everyone, everybody to stand, okay? Everybody stand up. I want you to pass those cards towards the, towards the, the center as our host and hostesses come. And to wrap up the series here, I, I, I just want us to share, uh, say out loud these, these five things that we learned these last two weeks, Okay? Uh, I'll keep myself plugged into Jesus and thus stay hot when I, number one, remember how sin has messed up my life. Number two, admit that my greatest need is for Jesus. Number three, come to Jesus to have my deepest needs met. Number four, embrace the discipline of the Lord. And number five, quickly respond to the voice of Jesus. Now listen. A bunch of you did that. You heard the voice of Jesus today. And you responded. And I want to rejoice with you. If you're here and you just need prayer over in the venue, we have an altar. We have an altar room here. And the spiritual leaders of the church, the elders, the pastors are there. And uh, we'd love to pray for you. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your health. Pray for your kids. Pray for your parents. Pray for whatever it is, your business. Doesn't matter what it is. They're there for you. Take, it, take advantage of it, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for um, this series and what it has meant to me, and I know what it has meant to lots of people. I'm thankful, God, for the word of, 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 of God, Lord, just an amazing book. There's so much in it that we can learn from and grow from. Lord, thank you. I'm grateful for those that made decisions today. Look forward to corresponding with them and talking with them. Lord, you're good. You're good. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, 
Amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Live, live for Jesus Christ, okay?